1 Samuel 22. And then if you want to flip over to Psalm 142. We're going to be in those two passages today. Excuse me just a second. First Samuel chapter 22. The title of the message today is God Knows Where I Am or God Knows Where You Are. Let's look at First Samuel chapter 22 beginning in verse 1 and we'll look at verse 1 and 2. The scripture says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Today we're talking a little bit about caves. You ever been in the cave? What are caves like? Nice and warm, right? Actually, if it's super cold outside, caves keep their temperature all the time, don't they? But most of the time, caves aren't known for that, right? Today feels like a good cave day, doesn't it? Like if you look outside, it's kind of damp, it's kind of rainy, it's kind of like, ugh, one of those kind of days, right? Uh, caves are also not usually full of light, are they? Being in a cave isn't always the best place to be. Well, I want to tell you, I've been in kind of a small cave this week. So last Sunday, we had an incredible day. It was awesome. That's some of the best pitching potluck food I've ever had. It was incredible. And then I went home, and about 6 o'clock, I just crashed. I was so tired. And then I felt that the fever was coming on. You ever felt the fever coming on? Well, I basically slept till 11 a.m. the next morning, and I had 102 point whatever fever for a couple days. Well, that's no fun. This is only had to work two days that week. Surely, you know, right? I was like, oh, really? And then on top of that, Wendy had to go get her dad and bring him because he had to have a really, really important test on Wednesday. So he's got to be in the house with the sickie. How's that going to go? So guess what? I got secluded, isolated, put off in my chamber, my cave. <laughs> And we were trying to make sure that Gramps, Wendy's dad, did not get fever. Well, that part we did really well. Because on Wednesday, Gramps still didn't have a fever. So they went to go and to check in. And guess what happened when they went to check in? We don't have you down anywhere. He's like, I have the paper right here. It's signed. I'm supposed to be here at 9 o'clock. Oh, well, I'm sorry. We don't have the medicine ready and prepped. You won't be able to do the test today. This is a major test, and it was, if you know Gramps, he has to kind of gear himself up for this kind of stuff anyways. So then Wendy's like, oh, great. So my husband's been useless all week, and now i got to take my dad back, meet my mom at Terre Haute, and he's going to have to do this all over again. So I tried to go with the school rule where you have 24 hours of fever-free before you go anywhere because we were supposed to go to my mom and dad's for Thanksgiving. And which, your food's good here. It was really good last Sunday, but my mom's food is amazing. <laughs> So I'm really looking forward to this, and I'm kind of like, oh, we better wait a little longer, we better wait a little longer. And then finally on Thursday, we missed the meal with everybody, but we at least got there for leftovers. But still kind of, you know, kind of a bummer, right? Being in the cave a little bit. Well, I go to sleep Thursday night, and I get woken up by my pup, 
he's 12 years old, and he wasn't feeling very good, I could tell. And so we tried some things in the morning. He was not feeling good at all. And we took him outside, and it was really cool outside. And then my dog died on Friday. I know, right? That's a kind of a KV-type week, isn't it, right? We had a hard time. And I feel like that the Lord put me in this passage in my devotions this week to kind of remind me of this truth that God always knows where you are. So if you'll kind of follow with me a little bit this morning, hopefully you're not in the cave today. Hopefully you're in a good place. But if you've been in the cave like the preacher has been for the past week, I want you to really seek out the Lord's voice and see what David did while he was in the cave. So the first thing I want to kind of catch you up on is that these were some pretty difficult days for David too. When we talk about David, we're talking about King David, and he's been on quite the ride. If you remember where David started, uh, he had killed a bear, he had killed a lion with what? With his 22? No, right? He had a slingshot. He was really good with that thing, right? And so he had taken out those things, and at this time, Saul and the Israelites are going down into this they're on two sides of a valley, and this guy comes out every day. He's about nine foot six. What was his name? Goliath, right? And Goliath comes out, and he's just mocking the Israelites. David shows up, and he's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> we serve the true and living God, right? He's the most powerful God. Why are you scared? And, of course, David was the little runt, and he had older brothers who were in the military, and he's telling them that they're chicken for not going out and fight Goliath. So how do you think they responded? Yeah, they didn't like that so well. It's going to become an important point later on. But initially, David's brothers were kind of like, get out of here, you little runt. Take your food. Give us the food. You get back home. Well, David actually is the only person willing to stand up. So Saul tries to fit him. It doesn't work with his clothes, but he goes out. You guys know the story, right? David ends up taking out Goliath, and uh, he'll end up actually with the sword of Goliath, which actually also becomes kind of important later on in this story. And David, all of a sudden, is the hero. What's it like to be the community or the national hero? Any of you ever experienced that? All of a sudden, when David comes into town, the lady starts singing and chanting this song. You remember what the song, how it goes? Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain what? 10,000, right? Hey, I kind of like that, right? That's the king they're talking about, but they're saying the king killed his thousands, but look at me. You want to talk about being on the mountain and feeling pretty good, right? And we've been there, hopefully most of you have been there at some point in your life, things are going well and are looking good and everything seems to be all right. And the next thing you know, there's these offers. And Saul actually makes arrangements for David to marry one of his daughters. Now, if you read the whole story, he offered one daughter and then later he offers Michael, the second daughter. But eventually David comes into this place where he's celebrated in his, his town, he has the king's daughter as his wife, and then all of a sudden, the king's son, Jonathan, they just become best friends. I mean, this, things are going really, really well until an evil spirit comes upon Saul. And what happens then? Yeah, we know the story, right? David is actually trying to help keep uh, Saul calm 
and two times Saul throws a spear at David to kill him. And then you're going to kind of think, yeah, things are not in the best direction, right? <laughs> and so you guys know again the story. David makes his way, and he becomes a man on the run. And he is working with Jonathan. Jonathan is trying to protect him and let him know what things are going on. Well, what you find is we almost come up onto chapter 22 of Samuel, 1 Samuel. David will finally reach out to a priest, and this priest's name is Ahimelech. And when he shows up, he's like, I've got these guys with me, and we have no food. And Ahimelech tells him, he says, well, David, the only thing I have is the leftovers from the, the holy consecrated leftovers from the table of showbread from yesterday. And he asks him, basically says, are your men holy? And he says, yeah, my men haven't been with any women. They are on a holy purpose and a holy mission. And so Ahimelech, the priest, gives the food to David and his men. Now, this whole time, if you guys follow the story, I love reading 1 Samuel. It's just like better than any TV drama ever. <laughs> There's a guy who's been paying attention. His name is Doeg. Everybody probably has a Doeg in their life. Because Doeg is like the neighbor who always pays attention to everything. And when they want to say something to kind of stir the pot, and Doeg lets King Saul know, well, your priest, Ahimelech, has been aiding and abetting your enemy, David. Right? So Saul will call for Ahimelech, and that's actually in the very end of this chapter, 22. Do you guys know what happens? Do you remember that part of the story? Ahimelech and the priests are all brought to King Saul. When the king calls, you come, right? This is not a democracy. This is a dictatorship, all right? Saul calls them in, and Ahimelech comes, and Saul asks him about the situation. He says, and Ahimelech doesn't know the whole story. He says, well, there's nobody more faithful than your servant David. How do you think that went over with King Saul? And then a really amazing thing to me happens Saul tells his men, his soldiers, to kill all the priests. And what did the soldiers do? They didn't make a move. They're like, we're not touching the holy men of God. And then, guess who does the dirty work? Doeg, the Edomite, right? Now, if you are David, think about your mindset in this situation. And it, you can even read it into chapter 22, he will tell uh, Ahimelech has a relative that escapes. So basically, Doeg, and then the people Doeg pulls together, they go and they kill all the priests and all their families and all their children and all their wives. They just wipe them out, except for Ahitub, and he escapes. And David, he rescues Ahitub, and he says, well, we're together because we're both on the run. And David says something. He says, it is my fault that your whole family is dead. So in this type of situation, where do you think David is in his mindset? Right? Oh, by the way, his wife Michael is going to be given to another man. Uh, he's been on the run. He actually gets so desperate, he goes to a Philistine king, Achish, and then he realizes that if I do that, that king is liable to kill me. So if you know that story, David plays like a crazy man. The Bible says he lets his saliva run all down his beard. So when the king sees him, he's like, get that guy out of here. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want what the disease he has. So he's had to play that he's an insane man. He's on the run. 
he's probably, he knows his wife is not going to be his wife much longer. He knows he's responsible for the death of all these priests, and he finds himself in a cave. And I thought my week was bad. Right? And so let's look again there in 1 Samuel, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 22, and get just a picture of what's going on. David left Gath. Again, that's where King Achish was. That's where he had to play like an insane man. And he escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, here's what I think is really interesting. Remember those guys that said, David, get out of here. Why are you going to go fight Goliath? You're a little runt. Guess who shows up at the cave? Those guys. Yeah, you know, kind of know how it is, right? Your family is the only one that can make fun of you, but don't get in the way of, your, of, of them, right? And so David's family will come to his aid. I think that's so powerful and how we should take care of our family. We're not going to go there today, but if you read on in chapter 22, you'll see David in response. He finds a place for his parents because his parents' lives are threatened because of Saul's anger. And so he's going to get away from them. But it would appear here that even his whole family has come together to the cave and to show up for him. And it's also pretty interesting to me who else shows up. When the Lord is about to do something great, you don't get a pick who he's going to use to do the great things, right? If you're David and you're trying to get out of the cave, who do you want? Give me the breast and the brightest. Give me the richest. Give me the people with the money and all the education, right? No, but who does he get? First, he gets the distressed. That's who shows up in the cave. Aren't you like, I've already got enough problems. Do I need to distress people here with me as well? <laughs> These people got their own problems. And then who does he have next? Those who are in debt. He doesn't get all the rich people. He gets the people who've already had a failure here and there. They got credit cards <laughs> up to here, right? They got, they, oh, all these other people, they've messed up, and they're showing up in the cave. And then who's the third group of people shows up? This is my favorite group of people. The discontented. Literally, it means bitter of soul. These are the people who've been through suffering. They know what it feels like, and this is the cave. Does it just want you to jump up and down and shout hallelujah? This is not easy, is it, right? And that's what I want to share with you folks today. When, we, when you get into the cave and the Lord will put us in the cave, uh, many times in life he allows us to be placed in the cave, but this whole cave will be transformational for who David is going to be. He had to go through the cave to get to the throne. You hear the Lord today? No, none of us like caves, do we, right? And what I love about David is he is so transparent. He lays it out just like it is. And he reminds us that how it feels to be there, but also where we need to go. It's from Enduring Word, just a simple good quote I wanted to share. He says, these men came to David in distress, in debt, and discontented, but they didn't stay that way. David made them into the kind of men described in Chronicles 12. 
Mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle the shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. The distressed, the deaded, and the discontented turned into the mighty men of King David. (laughs) Isn't it amazing what God can do with people when he wants to? The people who humble themselves. Again, our Sunday school lesson was so good today, wasn't it, right? Abraham, Abraham, and what's he say? Here I am. And when Abraham is about to put the knife into his son, the Lord again calls Abraham, Abraham. And what's he say? Here I am. And what did he say at the beginning? We are going to go worship on the mountain and we will come back. You talk about faith, right? Even through the most difficult circumstance. I don't know what you're facing today. Some of you, I know a little about what you're facing and it's not easy, is it, right? It can be health things. It can be job things. It can be relationship things. It can be anxieties and fears. It can be just being worn out completely. But what I remind you this morning is God knows where you are. Don't forget that. And also don't forget, as we shared in our Sunday school lesson this morning, uh, Abraham didn't actually have to sacrifice his son, but God did. He gave up Jesus for you and for me. Amen? And that's our redemption, and that's our rallying cry. Something happens in the cave, and I think Psalm 142 gives us a clue. Again, I'm relying on the shoulders of some people much smarter than I am, but most scholars believe that Psalm 142 was written in the cave of Adullam. So if you'd like to, you can turn to Psalm 142, or we'll show up on the screen for you as well. Again, what we're saying is we think these words, these very words were penned while David was in the cave with the distressed, deaded, and discontented. He says in verse 1 to the Lord, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Verse 4. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge and no one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Can I read that again, verse 7? <laughs> Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. And then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. First thing I like about this psalm that David shares, he doesn't try to fake it. Are any of you trying to fake it today? How's everything going? Fine. How are you doing today? Oh, good. See, if you'd asked me this on Friday, I would have really given you a story, wouldn't I, right? What's up with you today? And we do that in church sometimes too, don't we, right? I don't want anybody to know about my baggage, about my hurt, about my pain. I want everybody to think I got my stuff together and that my faith is strong and I'm a mighty man of valor and this is who I am. And David here cries out to God. He's really honest, isn't he, right? And I want us to do the same. I hope we, we, I think we do a pretty decent job in our church, but I want us to be those people 
Sometimes it's hard to be that way, isn't it, right? And sometimes it's hard to see strong people of the faith show their transparency, isn't it, right? Well, I thought he had all that together. When somebody humbles himself and they say, I'm desperate for God, they do have it all together in the right places. Amen? Here, David is open before us. Here's what I love, though. Who's he cry to? Man, he could have put on a pity party, couldn't he, right? Look what I've done for you, Lord. I killed the giant. I've been trying to raise up your name. Why are you letting this happen to me? I'm trying to do what's right. Why is the king after me? Why, why are you putting me in front of all these? Why am I stuck in this? Why did you send me these people? <laughs> he could have complained and whined and just went over and over. But who does he cry out to? He cries out to God for help because God is his help, right? You guys today, if you're in the cave, don't stop crying out to the Lord. He's your only help, right? And in Jesus, he is enough help. What did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you, right? My strength is made perfect in weakness. David recognized God as the one who watched over him, and he was the only one who could rescue. Now, I also like this too about David. Again, he's just being honest. You ever had a day where you felt like nobody else was on your team or on your side? He feels alone, doesn't he, right? And I hate to say this, uh, I think it was Roger this morning, or maybe on Wednesday, he made a real good point, like, that's what the church is for, so that you don't feel alone, amen? But even sometimes in the church, we can feel alone. And David is sharing that same feeling. Again, I would just challenge you to be honest before the Lord. Don't try to fake it, but be very honest before the Lord. And yet, make sure you're turning to the Lord in your honesty and in your desperation. And then he says those incredible, incredible words in verse 5. He says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. You guys ever talk to yourself? I have a little plaque on my desk. This other lady at work got me and says, uh, if you think I'm talking to myself, I'm not. I'm just actually in a team meeting. Because <laughs> I talk and process out loud. Some of you like that as well, right? What is David doing here a little bit? I think some of this is, yes, I have faith, and some of this is I got to remind myself of the promise of God because right now I feel, my feeling is what? I feel alone. I feel like nobody else is around, but I know, I know, Lord, you are my refuge, right? I mean, you guys, I could have just bawled this, but it was so good. We were practicing. We were singing the goodness of God. I don't know what it is, but when I sing and worship the Lord, everything else around me just drops and fades and it's like the Lord says, I know where you are. I know where you are. I'm challenging today to sing those songs, to say those truths, the things that sometimes you know in your head and true, but in your heart, you're not feeling it today. David says, you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. This is going to be one of the lowest points of David's life. And yet, because he relies on God, God will use it to transform his life. Again, this is another, uh, Ray Noah shared this. I want to give you this quote I thought was really good. He says, if you're in a cave and you're complaining to everyone else but God, you're missing a great opportunity to pour out your heart to the only one who can do something about it. Good things always happen when you get honest with God. So try talking to him and be patient. God does great work in caves. 
If you doubt that, just remember that empty cave on the outskirts of Jerusalem. For three days, it held a crucified body, but God does great work in caves, best of which is resurrection. Maybe that will help change your mind about caves. <laughs> Amen. You guys, I don't feel your suffering. I want to. If you guys know me as a preacher, that's my thing. I'm like so empathetic. I want to feel what you feel, and I hate for you to feel hurt, but I know what that is a little bit. I don't know your hurt. You don't necessarily know my hurt, but we know what it is to hurt, don't we? But again, my reminder is today, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he proved it in his son Jesus, not only in his death, but in his resurrection. And what I want to remind you of today, what so has spoken to my heart is God knows where you are. You ever think God forgot you? Final illustration this morning, what a great reminder that God knows where we are and I hope it'll be encouragement to you. This is from Mark Batterson, uh, Draw the Circles, the book. He says, a few years ago, I heard author Ken Gobb share one of the most amazing prayer testimonies I've ever heard. He and his family were driving on I-75 near Dayton, Ohio, when they decided to stop at a restaurant. Ken's wife and children went right into the restaurant while he stretched his legs. As he walked past a nearby gas station, he heard a payphone ringing. Real quick, does everybody know what a payphone is? Some of you may know, our younger people may not know that. He heard a payphone ringing. The phone kept ringing, and Ken thought it might be some sort of emergency, so he answered it. He heard the voice of an operator who said, long distance for Ken Gobb. Ken almost passed out. He said, you got to be kidding me. I'm just walking in the middle of nowhere, and I heard this phone ringing, and the confused operator said, is Ken Gobb there? And after making sure there weren't any candid cameras around, he said, this is Ken Gobb. <laughs> well, a voice on the other side of the line said, Mr. Gobb, my name is Millie, and I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, but I need your help. And she went to explain that she had just written a suicide note but had decided to give prayer one more shot. And she said, God, I don't really want to do this. And as she prayed, she remembered seeing Ken Gobb on television, and she thought to herself, if I could just talk with him, he could probably help me. Now, this was pre-Google, making it extremely difficult to track him down. And as she prayed, some numbers popped into her head, and she wrote them on a piece of paper. And she couldn't help but think, wouldn't it be wonderful if God were giving me Ken's number then Millie said, I decided to try calling the number, and I couldn't believe it when the operator said it was you. Millie asked Ken, are you in your office? When Ken said no, Millie sounded surprised. She said, then where are you? Ken said, well, you made the call, don't you know? She said, I don't even know what area I'm calling. I just dialed the number on a piece of paper. Ken said, you won't believe this. I'm in a phone booth in Dayton, Ohio. Millie replied, what are you doing there? Ken answered, I'm answering a payphone. <laughs> Ken went on to draw this conclusion. I walked away from that phone booth with an electrifying sense of our Heavenly Father's concern for each of his children. What were the odds of this happening? With all the millions of phones and innumerable combination of numbers, only an all-knowing God could have caused that woman to dial that number in that phone booth at that moment in time. 
When King hung up the phone, he walked over to the restaurant. He sat down with his family, and still stunned, he said to his wife, Barb, you won't believe this. God knows where I am. And he does, doesn't he, right? If you're on the mountaintop, God knows you're on the mountaintop. You can see clear and everything's awesome. He knows that. Praise him, praise him, right? But if you're in the cave today, God knows where you are too. And he'll be with you in the cave too. And he won't leave you and he won't forsake you. He gave his only son for you is how much he loves you. Today, let's praise the Lord even when we're in the cave.